They're not concerned about hurting someone else. And if they do, they don't feel sorry. It's not that they don't know right from wrong. It's just they don't care. Hey, it's Dr. Phil. Welcome back to Fill in the Blanks. As you know, we are in the middle of a series about personality disorders. We're talking about the toxic personalities in your life. As I've told you, I'm not wanting this to be like a formal presentation. I'm wanting to just have a conversation with you. And because of that, you guys have been responding with a lot of questions. I'm going to try to take some of those this time and or next to respond. And first off, I want to take a second to thank everybody that is subscribing to the podcast. And I'm saying that because the response that I've been getting from all of you that subscribe to and listen to fill in the blanks on this series about toxic personalities has just been so overwhelming that it's really humbling. And I truly look to do those things that I think are going to make a difference in your lives. You're telling me that this is making a huge difference, which means I've hit upon something that I'm passionate about because I know in my life, having grown up the way that I have, the path that I have, knowing how to contend with, deal with, manage some of these difficult personalities has made a huge difference in, I think, where I've been successful and where I've had difficult times. So I've wanted to share that. So thank you for responding so much for all your comments and for all your questions. And I'm wanting to do this because I want you to be a good life manager. You've probably heard me say that you really need to look at life as something that's managed and not cured. And in managing your life, you're going to deal with people that have pathology. When you deal with them, if you have a strategy, if you have coping skills, then it's someone that you can contain. It's someone that you can even manage and point rather than just judge and suffer. I want that to be a skill set that you develop through what we're talking about here. I'm not trying to get you to become a diagnostician. I'm not trying to get you to sit in judgment of everybody in your life, but I don't want you to miss red flags. I said early on in this series, I want everyone listening to contact at least one person in your life that you love and care about and tell them to listen to this series. Tell them to subscribe to fill in the blanks and listen to the series. But I don't want them to jump in now I want them to go back into the library and listen to the beginning when we started talking about narcissism. Because if you'll remember, we talked about narcissism and the different types of narcissism, the four different types, what to do about it. Then we talked about borderline personality. So what are we going to do today and why? So when you contact these people that you care about, and ask them to join you in this series about toxic personalities in the real world. I don't want them to jump in mid-story here. I want them to pick it up from the beginning so they have all the tools that you have. 
I want you to have someone to resonate with, someone you can talk to, somebody that has the same symbol system you do. Because let me tell you, if you've been following along here, you have gotten a certain degree of expertise about some of these personality disorders. I have been through bachelor's degree, master's degree, PhD, and I can tell you the information I've been giving you is very much like what you would get if you were in a PhD program in psychology. If you were in a clinical program in psychology and you were taking abnormal psychology with an emphasis on personality disorders, the information that you're getting is very much what you would get if you were in this course. You you might spend more time on it. You might read some other articles about it. But I've done all of that and pulled it together. I'm not the repository of all knowledge. I do research to refresh myself, look at current articles. And that's what I've been telling you about here. So let me tell you, you've got some really current information and some expertise so you can spot the red flags. Again, I'm not asking you to diagnose people. I want you to say, bingo, red flag. I need to be cautious about this. Now, today, I want to talk about the antisocial personality disorder. This is something you probably haven't referred to as antisocial personality disorder or ASPD. You've probably talked about it in your life as psychopathy or sociopathy. And you've done that because it's been described or assigned those terms historically across time. We've said, you know, that that guy's a psychopath. And that's still used in common parlance. And that's okay. Look, I, I told you I'm not big into labels other than it helps us to know that we're treating the right thing. So it's a shorthand for therapists to use between themselves. If you're referring a patient to someone else or a client to someone else, then you can use this shorthand. It's for insurance purposes as well, but I don't really care how you refer to it in your own mind, whether you call it antisocial personality or psychopath or sociopath. Now, there are some slight differences that I'm going to talk about in a little bit, but however you want to think about it, it's okay. We're talking about the granddaddy of personality disorders. This is a pattern of disregarding or violating the rights of others. Now, what we've talked about so far with narcissism and borderline personality, it had a lot to do with what they were doing with themselves. Narcissists wanted to be the center of attention. So again, that was about them. Now, that doesn't mean they weren't crowding you out, stealing your time, your attention, your thunder, dominating, and all. That's true. But a lot of this had to do with their insecurities, their need for attention. It was about them, 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 their fear of abandonment, etc. And with borderline personality, that was an interactive disorder, but it wasn't always necessarily something that was weaponized. But when we're talking about the antisocial personality, this is a pattern that disregards or actively violates the rights of others, meaning you. If you're in a relationship with somebody that has this disorder, they're either completely ignoring your rights or they're actively violating them. Now, these people may not conform to social norms. They don't follow rules. 
they may not be formal rules. They could be what we call mores and folkways, just kind of the way the group functions. Maybe it's a work group or a class or a family or a neighborhood that doesn't necessarily have printed written rules, but there are what we call mores and folkways. It's just the general way the group functions. They don't adhere to that. They may not conform to social norms. They may repeatedly lie or deceive others, or they may act impulsively. Now, this pattern, as I say, has been referred to in a lot of different ways, but it always has those characteristics. And it doesn't always have every one of them every time, but you'll see those things popping up time and again. And listen, this is something that may or may not be diagnosed. I think it is way underdiagnosed. The estimate is we've got about 3.6% of the population that has this diagnosis, but I believe that it is way underdiagnosed because these people don't present for treatment. The way they get to treatment is a lot of times the court refers to them or it's in couples therapy because their partner has had enough. So the estimate is 3.6% of the population, but I think that is way underestimated because they just don't show up in the therapy system. Now, this usually starts early in life. This isn't something where somebody's usually just fine until they're 35 or 40. No, no, no. This shows up early in life. This occurs way more in men than it does in women. A lot. That testosterone gets to flowing, and these men, it just shows up like six, seven times more in men than it does in women. And it is way overrepresented in the prison population. Why? Because these people don't follow rules. They don't respect authority. They come into conflict with authority. They're going to come into conflict when they're young with the authorities at school, with their parents, with coaches, scout leaders, whoever. They just come into conflict with authority on a regular basis. And as they get older, their ability to create bad problems, to create conflict of gravity that has more dire consequences just goes up. So they're overrepresented in the jail and prison population because now the authority they're coming into conflict with are the police. So they don't follow traffic rules. They have a suspended license. They don't care. They're going to drive anyway. They say you're not supposed to drink and drive. They don't care. They're going to do what they want to do. The speed limit says 30. They'll go 60. It doesn't matter. They don't conform to social norms. They're going to do what they want to do because they have a disregard for other people's rights. They're not concerned about hurting someone else. And if they do, they don't feel sorry. They don't feel remorse about it. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. Now, there's a distinction here. They do know right from wrong. And we'll talk about how that's different from some other disorders here in a minute. 
It's not that they don't know right from wrong. It's just they don't care. It doesn't bother them to break the rules. They don't have that ability to feel empathy, that ability to feel remorse. So they know right from wrong, but they're going to do what they want to do anyway. They're very selfish people. So what are some characteristics? Let me just describe them to you narratively, but let me click them off. Failure to conform to social norms, deceitfulness, manipulativeness, impulsivity, irritability, and aggressiveness. This is where I say they violate the rights of others. Reckless disregard for the safety of self or others. That's why I said they'll drive drunk, they'll speed at unsafe levels. Irresponsibility. Again, they'll drive recklessly. They'll drive 120 miles an hour down the freeway. They're irresponsible. They're not concerned for their safety or your safety. And they have, this is a big one, a lack of remorse. If they do something that hurts you, they get you fired, they get you in trouble, they wreck your car, they get you injured, it's not like they go, oh, God, I feel so terrible. No, they don't. The only time these people feel remorse is at getting caught. If they feel sorry, they're sorry they got caught. They're not sorry for what they did. They're sorry they got caught for what they did. And that is purely a matter of expediency. They're sorry that they're being inconvenienced because some cop has them pulled over, some principal has them in the office, some authority figure at work is interrupting their role because they like to roll, and they don't like anybody messing with that. Now, usually when you hear professionals or the police talk about a psychopath, they're usually talking about the very far extreme end of the behavioral continuum, the emotional continuum of the antisocial personality. You often hear psychopath coupled up with things like killer, psychopathic killer, psychopathic criminals, psychopathic rapists, psychopathic something. And what they're talking about is the extreme end of the continuum. Psychopath is usually considered as a modifier for some other conduct that is really considered behavior. So psychopathy shares similar traits with the antisocial personality disorder, but it's considered to be really, really extreme. Now, why does this happen? Like a lot of things, we really can't point to and say, connect these dots and we'll tell you that you're going to wind up with a psychopath. We do know that there does seem to be a genetic factor meaning that if there's someone in the family that has this history, that it's more likely to reoccur in the family. Environmental factors can influence this. If this has been role modeled by someone in the family, if there are environmental conditions where this kind of behavior is rewarded or at least not punished or rewards withheld, it's likely to occur. And it can occur pursuant to traumatic brain injuries where parts of the brain where impulse control is generally asserted is just simply not in control anymore because the behavior inhibition is just not there. So 
you may see this as early as childhood. And how is it going to express then? Yeah, you're going to see fire setting because they don't have impulse control. You may see cruelty to animals because they don't have the ability or the opportunity or the guts to be cruel to peers or adults. So you'll see cruelty to small animals that can't really fight back. And again, as I say, you'll see conflict with authority at every level of their life. As I said, they often have legal problems because they don't follow the rules and they violate other people's rights. And that gets them called out, that gets them in trouble. And they tend to act out impulsively. And when I say impulsively, they don't sit there and think, okay, if I do A, B could happen. Let me weigh that out. No, they don't do that. They don't say, if I drive down this road at twice the speed limit, a child could come out of a driveway and I wouldn't be able to stop. They don't think that. They just think it's fun to go fast, so off they go. They don't think about the consequences of their actions. You've heard me say many times, you choose the behavior, you choose the consequences. They don't even think about consequences. They just choose the behavior. Now, you're going to see these people display a lot of irritability. Their tolerance levels, the threshold for them flying off the handle, for them getting angry, for them blowing up and losing their temper is very low. Their distress tolerance is not good. They're kind of hair-triggered. So you're going to see a lot of aggressiveness, a lot of irritability. And as a result, they tend to get into a lot of physical confrontations. They have real difficulty putting themselves in someone else's shoes. I hear parents a lot of times talking to children that are on a path to antisocial behavior, and they'll say to the child, Come here, stand right here. How do you think that made him feel? We get a blank stare because the child has no idea. So they just look at the parent like, I don't know. Well, you just stand here till you think about it. Well, you need to go get him some water and a diaper because he's going to be there a long time. He doesn't know. And it's like asking him to get taller. If you ask someone of this orientation, to give you an empathetic answer, to stand in another person's shoes and tell you how they feel, you might as well be asking them to get taller. You can stand there till the cows come home. They cannot give you an answer. They do not know. They often have poor or abusive relationships with others because of just that reason. They don't think this is going to hurt their feelings, so they behave in a way that hurts the other person's feelings because they don't know that, hey, this is going to really make them feel bad. And I get that, and I don't want to create that. They don't think that. So they just vent. It's cathartic for them. They just let go without consideration for how it makes other people feel. They will lie when the truth would do better. It's just their adjustment. They just lie. Then they don't even think about lying. Let's take just a minute here to talk about why people lie. And there are several reasons. They lie to take what is not rightfully theirs. And this type of personality disorder will do that. They will lie to take what is not rightfully, take credit for something, claim a reward that is not theirs. They'll lie to get something that they're not entitled to. 
they lie to escape accountability. That's one of the big reasons people lie. Oh, I didn't do it. No, no, it wasn't me. They lie to create a fantasy, to create false self-esteem, because in their heart of hearts, they think they're boring. They think their life is just really not very interesting, so they create this fantasy, which ties in to one and two. They don't want to be accountable for doing mundane work, and they want to take credit for things they didn't earn. So they'll take credit for some heroic act. They'll take credit for solving some problem. They want to get admiration. They want to get attention. They lie to avoid punishment. They lie to inflict pain on others. They lie to feel better in the moment. They will steal admiration. They will let you believe they did something knowing that it's going to be found out. But in the moment, they get admiration and they feed off of that. And they'll lie to gain advantage over other people. They'll lie to get an edge, to get some advantage that they can lord over other people. Do they feel bad about that, that they cheated? No. To them, there is no cheating. It's just, hey, you do what it takes to get ahead. It's not cheating. It's just part of the game. There's not a matter of honor and integrity for them. It just is what it is. Now, if you have a child with a conduct disorder, you've been to the pediatrician and they say, look, there's a conduct disorder here, then this could grow up into an antisocial personality. And you've heard so many times early detection and early intervention in any disorder, any disease is good. So if you're seeing a child that behaves in this way, the sooner you intervene, the better off you are. So don't ignore this thinking they're going to grow out of it because they're not going to grow out of it. And they're a lot easier to manage at 40 pounds and five years old than they are at 140 and 14. So you're better off to deal with it as soon as you can. Now, why am I talking about this now? And why did I do this in this order? Well, because this particular disorder, antisocial personality, has components of the borderline personality and the narcissistic personality disorder. You know, think about the things that I just said describing the antisocial personality. Deceitful, manipulative, impulsive, reckless. You've heard a lot of those things in the borderline personality. You've heard some of those things about the narcissist. All of those things are rolled in here, but here they tend to be pretty malevolent with them. They're actually doing this in a very hurtful way. They're weaponizing it. They're aiming it. Now, this is going to express in relationships. It can be spousal or child abuse. 
these folks tend to be overrepresented in the alcohol or substance abuse population, jail or prison, as I said. Any kind of assault, aggression against others. And there's comorbidity here. This doesn't occur in isolation. These people also suffer with a lot of depression and anxiety. A lot of times, these people can be very successful for short periods of time, but it does tend to catch up with them. So you see them sometimes homeless, low socioeconomic status, and they tend to have shorter life expectancy because they take high-risk behaviors. They're irresponsible. They're overrepresented in cause of death from violence because, again, there's a lot of conflict. These people get in situations where they wind up getting killed. So how do you prevent this? Well, you know, there's not a great way to prevent this. As I said, early intervention is important, but You're probably wondering, is my child going through a phase? Am I married to someone like this? Is he talking about me? Well, there's actually a checklist that's pretty good about this, and it's called the Hair Psychopathy Checklist. This is a preliminary research rating scale that was developed by Robert Hare and his team that you can really look at. And I'm going to put this on the website and on my Facebook page so you can go through. And when I say checklist, it's just that. You can go through and check and see how many of these characteristics either apply to you or the person you're concerned about. And I'm not going to list them all here because there's quite a few, but I'm going to give you a few examples. Glibness, superficial charm. Grandiose sense of self-worth, pathological lying, lack of remorse, shallow affect, meaning their emotions are very shallow, parasitic lifestyle, they use other people is what it means, poor behavioral control, promiscuous sexual behavior, impulsivity, irresponsibility, juvenile delinquency, short-term relationships, particularly marital relationships, because they blow them up. So go through and see how many of those things check off for you or somebody else. These people have trouble in relationships just like borderline personality people do. There's also a test for these sorts of things, and I'm not trying to get you to self-diagnose, but this is a test that you can kind of go through that's considered to be a first step towards getting treatment to see, you know, does this describe me or somebody I really care about? And it too is kind of a checklist. And it gives you a lot of items that you go through and you just check how much they apply to you, like always, often, sometimes, rarely, or never. And It talks about some of the same things. Do you repeatedly lie to or trick others for your own gain or pleasure? Do you act impulsively? Do you fail to plan ahead? Have you ever engaged in criminal behavior? If you hurt someone else's feelings, do you lack remorse or guilt? Do you consider yourself superior to others? 
Do you use charm or wit to manipulate others for your own benefit? Now, this only helps you. I just read a few, not all. I'll put this again on the site. Does it help you only if you're really honest with yourself? And if you go through this checklist, if you go through and evaluate these things, do it in a way that nobody's going to see it but you. Don't do it with your wife or your husband or your mother or your dad. If you're going to do this, do it where only you see it so you can be honest with yourself. Whether you're doing it on yourself or maybe on your spouse. If you do it where somebody's going to look over your shoulder, you're not going to be honest. It's hard to be hard on somebody else or truthful with yourself. Now, I want to talk about the personality as it shows up in life a little bit. You're going to experience these people as real problems in your life. You're going to experience them as jerks. You're going to experience them as people that hurt your feelings, victimize you, steal from you, use you, abuse you, lie about you, manipulate you. You know who they are if you're honest with yourself. And as I said, they tend to weaponize this, and they'll try to excuse it. But there's a difference between assertiveness and aggressiveness, and I want to be very clear about this. Assertiveness is when you confidently, directly express your needs or feelings clearly, but you do it without violating the rights of other people. Let me say that again. You confidently, directly express your needs or feelings very clearly, but you do it without violating the needs or rights of somebody else. Now, aggression is when you are forceful, destructively hostile, you are attacking in your behavior, and it threatens the rights of other people. Those are not the same thing. So let me read some of these descriptors. Assertiveness is confident. It's self-assured. It's direct. It's clear. It's positive, but it respects the rights of other people. Aggression is forceful, hostile, attacking, destructive, threatening, and violates the rights of other people. Now, think about that. You can be assertive by saying, look, I'm not comfortable with what's going on here, and I'm not going to choose for you. You do what you feel like you need to do, and I'll do what I feel like I need to do. I'm not going to try to control you, but I'm exercising my independent right to withdraw from this situation. So. I'm going to excuse myself and let you make up your own mind about what you're going to do. So I'll see you or talk to you another time. So excuse me, and I'm going to say goodnight. Okay, you're being very clear. I'm not okay with this. 
not trying to tell you what to do, but I'm telling you what I'm going to do. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. I'm being very confident, being very self-assured. I'm being very direct. I'm leaving. Okay? I'm not ambiguous about this. I'm being very clear. And I'm being positive. You do what you want to do. I, I get that that's your right. And I respect that right. I'm not trying to control you. Do what you want to do. I'm going to say goodnight. That's assertive. That's your right. You have the right to do what you want to do when you want to do it because you are a free-thinking, intelligent individual. That's an assertive thing to do. Now, an aggressive thing to do that would have the same goal of getting out of the situation would be forceful, hostile, and attacking where you would say, hey, let me tell you something. I'm not putting up with your crap anymore. You're wrong. You shouldn't have me here. You shouldn't be here. I'm not taking this from you anymore. You're an idiot for bringing me here. I'm not going to put up with this. And if you ever do this to me again, you're going to see the end of me. You need to understand that. And you're either coming with me or we're done. Okay, now, okay, you've gotten very aggressive here. You're forceful and hostile. You've attacked them. You've called them an idiot. You've threatened them. You're not ever going to see them again if they don't do what you want them to do. You've threatened the future of the relationship. You've just put everything, the relationship on the line, which is very manipulative. You're doing this probably in public, so you're just stepping all over them. Does it get you out of the situation the same way the assertiveness did? Yes, but it's like killing a mosquito with a shotgun. It's overkill. You don't need to do it. You can be assertive and say, listen, I just need to tell you I'm going to excuse myself. You do what you want to do or need to do, but as for me, I'm going to say goodnight, and we'll talk another time. So uh, take my leave and so long. Okay, forceful. You're very clear. You're just positive and you're gone. The other way, you assassinate their character on your way out the door and threaten them while you're doing it. Very different. So one is assertive, the other is aggressive. Antisocial personalities will almost always choose aggressiveness. They may even go to the point of being physical because that's who they are. That's what they tend to do. That's the difference. That's when you know that you're dealing with an antisocial personality or you're behaving in that way. Now, let me talk about some myths here so you understand. One myth is that the antisocial personality disorder is not treatable. That's sort of a myth because it is very difficult. There is some psychopharmacology that can be used here, and you're really not treating the personality disorder as much as you are treating the aggression. You're mellowing them out some. Non-psychopharmacological treatment methods, cognitive therapy, behavior therapy, group therapy, family therapy, which are talking therapies, I have to tell you, it's not the best prognosis. Can they get better? You know, anything's possible, and they can get better with time. 
but compared to treating someone that's highly motivated, like let's say they have a phobia, the prognosis for treating a phobia, an irrational fear that's been attached to some object or situation, prognosis is excellent. Prognosis here, not so much. In fact, some of these clients can get worse with therapy. Why? Because the therapist, in an effort to coach and improve the conduct of the antisocial personality disorder, will model for them what empathetic behavior looks like. They'll teach them how to reflect feeling, how to reflect appropriate emotions. And the psychopath, the antisocial personality disorder, will go to school on that. They go, okay, um, I didn't know how to do that before, but now I'm going to be a little harder to spot because I know at least how to mimic empathetic behavior. So I can hide in plain sight now because somebody's taught me how I'm supposed to behave. Now, they may not know anything beyond what you've modeled for them, but that can cause them to be a little harder to detect. And let me show you how this works. Somebody that has the capacity for empathy Someone might come in, and they're 15 minutes late for work, and they say, hey, sorry I'm late, but uh, as I was leaving the house, uh, my dog got out of the gate and ran into the street, and it got run over and killed. Well, a normally functioning, healthily functioning individual will do what we call empathetically reflecting feeling. So they're likely to say something like, oh my gosh, you must feel terrible. Here, sit down for a minute and then talk to me. I'm so sorry. And they're thinking how they would feel in that situation. And so they comfort the person. They're sympathetic, but they're also empathetic. They can relate to how the person must be feeling. And so they'll say things like that. Oh, you just must feel terrible. I am so sorry. And, you know, they might inquire, were you alone? Did you have to deal with this by yourself? My gosh, that's terrible. A psychopath, someone with an antisocial personality, doesn't know how to relate at that level. They don't understand intimacy. They don't understand empathy. So what they're going to do is reflect content, not feeling. So the same person would come in and say, sorry, I'm late. Back it out. Gate was open. Dog ran the street, got run over and killed. The antisocial personality disorder say, really, what kind of dog? Huh. Chihuahua. That's too bad. They don't know how to put themselves in that person's shoes and reflect feeling. All they know how to do is reflect content. Oh, dog got run over. Huh. What kind of dog? Huh. Kill it outright? Huh. Did it squeal? Huh. 
that's all they know how to do is reflect content, not feeling. And so if they get into therapy and the therapist does what I just did, which was to model how an empathetic person would relate, they go, oh, okay, I got that now. Somebody suffers a loss. A key phrase is, oh, you must feel terrible. Have a seat. Tell me about, were you alone? They go, okay, I got that. I got that. So now something like that happens. They do that. And if that carries the moment, the person that suffered the loss might walk away and say, oh, he was so kind. He was so warm. It was really nice. And that would cloak the fact that he was not genuine because he was taught some skills to hide that. So do they get better? They can, but the prognosis is not great, and sometimes they get worse. Myth number two, antisocial personality disorder and avoidant personality disorder are the same. No, they're not. They're not the same at all. They're very different. A person with antisocial personality disorder has trouble with relationships because, as I just said, they can't relate at a feeling level. The person with the avoidant personality disorder, which we haven't talked about yet, they avoid intimacy because they're just certain that they're going to be judged and rejected. So they don't want to put themselves in that situation because they fear that it's going to go badly. So the antisocial personality doesn't know how to get close or be intimate. The avoidant personality doesn't get close enough to even be in that situation because they know they will fail. Myth number three, antisocial personality disorder is an excuse for poor behavior. No, it is not. These people know right from wrong. You know, one of the things that I had to deal with in court work was sometimes helping the court to decide if the behavior that the court or the jury had to sit in judgment of was an irresistible impulse or an impulse not resisted. Was it an irresistible impulse or an impulse not resisted? And there is a big, big difference. An irresistible impulse means the person was out of control and had no choice. Like blackout anger. An impulse not resisted is they just had an impulse and made the choice not to resist it. Antisocial personality disorders know the difference between right and wrong. And they just don't care. They don't have the ability to predict how the person's going to feel that they're victimizing. They don't have the capacity to feel remorse, so they just don't care. They'll choose to go ahead. They know the difference. They just go ahead. Now, again, these are people that can be very charming. They can get close to you. Short term, they can come across as really confident. 
a lot of con men have antisocial personality disorder. They come across as very confident. You know, we forget that con man is short or confidence man. They instill confidence in others because they come across very confidently. There's a fake charm. There's manipulativeness. There's a dishonesty. But they hide it. They are ruthless. And the more you get out on the ends of the continuum towards the, this really cold-blooded psychopaths, the worse it gets. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because these are dangerous people. They will charm the pants off everybody in the room. They disregard your feelings. And when you look at them, once I've gotten you sensitized to this, where you look for these red flags, you'll look at them and say, they don't even believe what they're saying. And the way you know they're lying is if their lips are moving. Because as I said, these people lie because they want to take what's not theirs. They want to escape accountability. They want to create a fantasy world where they're the hero. They lie, lie, lie. But they're so charming, you can't seem to stay mad at them. They love bomb you. They'll come on so strong. They love, 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 love you. Tell you what you want to hear. And before you know it, they're gaslighting you. And you're getting blamed for their faults, and they're spending your money and driving your car and eating your food and staying in your apartment. And they're doing it while you're off going to work. And here is a clue. This is a big giveaway. Listen and see if they are bragging to you about how they have conned, manipulated, or gotten even with somebody they were in a relationship with before you. Now, hear what I just said. Think about it. Are they bragging about how they outsmarted, victimized, or exploited somebody in a relationship before you. How they really put the pants on somebody before you. How they conned somebody out of their money. How they pulled the wool over their eyes. How they got the advantage, the upper hand, and really came out the winner in a relationship before you. They don't have the ability to understand that you would be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, is he going to be saying that about me with somebody else a month from now? They don't see that. But I want you to see it. Because if they will do it with you, they will do it to you. Don't think for a second that you're the one that's going to change them. Now, there might be somebody in this world that is so great and so inspirational that it's going to change them forevermore. Assume that is not you, because it is not you. 
You are not going to change this person. What you need to do is get professional help. And if they don't respond to it, my advice is you need to put these kind of people in your rearview mirror. Because as I said, the prognosis is not good and you need to protect yourself, limit yourself, set up boundaries, and keep yourself protected. Like I said, I don't care how charming they are. If their lips are moving, assume they're lying. Don't leave your money laying around. Don't let them know your passwords. Don't let them know your credit card information. Don't let them in any way get in a position to take advantage of you. Now, I said I was going to answer your questions, and I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it in our next session. And let me tell you what I'm going to do in our next session. I am going to take the narcissistic personality, the borderline personality, the antisocial personality, and a few others, and I am going to roll them into one, and I'm going to tell you how they get into your life, how they exploit you, and what you can do to inoculate yourself, to put a force field around yourself. And then I'm going to give you the strategy you need to be a winner, even in a world where you have toxic personalities swirling all around you. Because there is a winning strategy. Even if you realize there are sharks in the water, I don't see the world as a negative place. I don't see the world as a necessarily hurtful place. I see the world for what it is. There are some good people out there. There are some bad people out there. But there is a strategy that you can use to A, protect yourself, and B, come out a winner. I want you to have a strategy. I want you to know that you're not a victim. I want you to know that there is a plan that you can execute. The next sessions that we're going to spend together may be the most important sessions we have ever had. I will see you. You will hear me next Tuesday. So long.